is kind of an introduction text to what comes next. He's going to teach us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And before he does that, he's going to tell us how not to pray. So in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And, do, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this text, and I ask that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word, that you would bless your people who came this morning to hear and to be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. It feels a bit awkward praying after reading, go pray in your closet. So we'll get into that. That was not an invitation for you to give me a command, Noah. I'm going to get you later for that. Okay, so the first verse here. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So this begins with the word and, which means it's, an indi- it's, a, it's connected to what he was saying before. It's a continuation of thought with what he said before. And so what did he say before? We saw that last week. It was about giving with right motives. Don't give with wrong motives. Give with right motives. And I expanded that last week talking about good works in general. Don't do these things in order to be seen by or praised by others. But it's also like you can be seen doing them, but it's really about your motives. And again, because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and your glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in the same sermon... Jesus is talking about giving. Now he's talking about do this, but don't do it in order to be seen or praised by men. So again, Matthew 5, he goes, let your light shine. Matthew 6, but don't give like this. Don't, you know, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and then you'll get a reward in heaven. Don't brag. Don't show off. And now we're looking at this verse in verse 5, and it's kind of the same thing, but now talking about prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Kids, do you know what a hypocrite is? Um, A hypocrite is um, someone who tells you not to do something, and then they go and do it. That's an example of a hypocrite. Yes? No. Funny, but no. Um, I think someone who acts good in front of people, but when they're um, when they're alone, they don't do those things. They they're worse than who they who they act. The very first part of what you said was the exact right answer. An actor. That word in Greek means to pretend, to act. So it's someone who's not sincere. So when they pray, they're not really praying to God. 
They're praying to be heard. They pray with a deep voice. And they have this way of lifting their voice and lowering their voice to draw you all in and think what an amazing spiritual person they are as they pray. And maybe they even whisper at times like this. And they're doing it for you, not really to be heard by God. That's what he's saying to not be like. That's what a hypocrite does. In other words, don't have the wrong motives when you're doing things, whether you're giving or you're praying. Don't just pretend. He says here, they love to stand in synagogues and street corners. Why? Again, to be seen by others. It's the same thing he was saying about the givers last week. And then he says, they've received their reward. And that is the reward they'll get. If they just want to pray to be heard by others, then they'll be heard by others. And that's the only reward they'll get. God's not going to hear them. That's what's implied there. So it's very similar to chapter 6, verse 2, about giving. Don't sound a trumpet in the synagogues and the streets. And he said there as well in verse 2, they have their reward. So it's, it's all really connected. It's the same idea. Same kind of person, same kind of motives, same reward. The only reward they're going to get is being seen and praised by others. That's a very low reward. I know it's hard to think that way sometimes because we all like to be seen and noticed. And when we do good things, we all probably kind of hope maybe somebody sees because it'll make us feel good if they saw us do that thing. But that's a very low reward compared to the reward God has for you. When you do things with the right motives, when you give for the right motives, or when you pray to God for the sake of being heard by God, not by others, there's great reward waiting for you. Way better than being noticed in the world for having someone's notion of what it means to be a righteous person. That's a really low reward. Caring what people think about you and going about your life, doing things or praying out loud to be heard is a very low reward compared to what God has. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. Jordan Peterson, clean your room, go to your room, shut the door. And pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus says, don't be hypocrites. Again, don't do this just to be heard by others. Don't try to make yourself visible. Don't be standing on street corners in synagogues, all that stuff. Instead, pray in secret. In your room, with no one around, pray in secret, and then the Father will reward you. And again, like I said last week, it's actually okay to want rewards from God. He wants to give them to you. And he's saying things like this because that promise should be motivating you to do this thing. So don't have the mindset of, God's already done so much for me, I don't deserve any rewards, so this makes me uncomfortable. Chase after whatever God wants for you. That's why you got saved, was not just to be not in hell anymore, but to know God and to experience God and to spend eternity with God and to have whatever He wants to give you. So if He's got rewards He wants to give you, Get them. Go get them. So we don't want to settle for very low and base rewards of being seen by men, praised by men. We want to aim higher. And if we have higher ambitions of being rewarded by God, 
then we shouldn't be like the hypocrites who just pretend to pray, who do it to be seen and praised by others. It's much better if we pray alone in secret where no one sees us. It's just us and God, no one around, and then we have a higher reward from Him. In verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I like the King James better here. Uh, heap up empty phrases. Uh, don't use vain repetitions. And here he's relating it to the Gentiles who apparently had this practice of thinking that their God would answer them if they just chanted and chanted and chanted and repeated these kind of vain, empty phrases over and over again. And so here we find a different motive, actually. In, this, in the last verse, the motive was to be seen by men. Here the motive is to get something. And in the first part of it, he related them to hypocrites, which were also the Jews, because he mentions they're in the synagogue, which is where the Jews were. So how the Jews prayed wrong was hypocritically to be heard by others, to be up in front of other people doing that. And now he's saying the pagans also do it wrong. Their motive is thinking they can basically force their God to give them whatever they want by vain repetitions. And then he says in verse 8, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, vain repetitions is interesting. Um, you know, we pray out loud together sometimes, and we'll get into why that's okay in this text. But some people struggle with knowing how to pray, and so they might use filler words like, um, God, I pray um, that you'd um, help, or dear Lord, I thank you, Lord, for Lord saving me, Lord, and for... And I, that's fine. I don't think that's what he means here. That's just somebody trying to pray out loud who's not used to it, and they're nervous, and we should make them feel comfortable and accepted and not laugh while they're praying because they use the word Lord too much, you know. That's not what he means here, but... I think we do, in our context today, run the highest risk of vain repetitions during worship. So I want you to think about that, um, because the point of worship is not to get you into a trance, where you're just repeating words as the song gets louder and louder, and you're just repeating words, and you're feeling good, but you're not even really thinking about God, you're just kind of like repeating these words. There's a risk there. I think that when we worship... It should be powerful and emotional and passionate, but we should be singing words that matter, that we can actually think about and draw us close to Christ, not using vain repetitions. So that's one, that's one of the risks in worship, is when you're using repetition as a way of a trance. And I use that word specifically because there are other religions that do this. There are other Eastern religions that do this, where you can see these videos online where they are, swaying and they're chanting and they're repeating words and they begin to shake and they're getting these sensations. But we know their gods aren't real. But you can turn off the sound and put that next to what you see in a lot of so-called Christian church worship services and it looks the same because of just this vain repetition. You could be saying any word, but because it sounds pretty and it moves you emotionally and you're getting into this trance-like state, we've got to be careful with that. So, what we try to do here at church is sing passionate songs and sing passionately, but with songs that have content to where as you're feeling those emotions, you can match those emotions with deep truths 
Because that's really what we want to do at church is, get, is come to know God, not just feel a certain way. Now, the other risk, though, of vain repetitions in worship is when you're just singing the words just because you're supposed to and you're not thinking of them at all. You're standing there, maybe you're reading the screen and you're thinking about what you got to do this week and what you do after church and what else is going on in your life. And you're, you're saying the words and you're on the, on the page, but you're not even thinking about them. That's also vain repetition because you're just saying words and you're not. This is why I often encourage you to really sing from your heart. And if you can, even try closing your eyes. If you know some of the words coming, try to close your eyes, try to get rid of the distractions, try to really sing them to God. Imagine that you're really saying those words to God because you don't want to just have vain repetitions because that's not helping anybody. So in verse 8, don't be like them, don't do that. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And this is as far as we're going to get today. I'm just going to kind of summarize some things, and I'll try to answer some questions here from the text. But here again, so concerning prayer, we have you know a similar idea to what Jesus is saying about giving. We saw that last week. Don't be like them. Don't pretend. Don't do it with false motives. Don't pray just so others think you're amazing. Don't do it just to be seen or heard. Instead, pray privately. Don't be like them. And he's going to go on to give us a model for how to pray. And we'll look at that next week. But here in these verses, we get the sense that it's really about motives. Because we, we have to make sure we're understanding Jesus correctly here. We want to make sure that we're understanding him in a consistent way with other things he has taught. Because, for example, we know that Jesus is not opposed to all kinds of public prayer. Even though he says here, don't pray like them to be seen by them, but instead go into your closet. That doesn't mean he's always opposed to public prayer. Why do we know this? Well, he himself prays publicly multiple times. We'll see in a few months, Matthew 11, where he says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to the children. He says it out loud in front of his audience. Or like all of John 17, called the high priest prayer, where he is praying to the Father for his disciples out loud, and they're hearing it. So he's not always opposed to public prayer. Also, the apostles prayed publicly, and you can go through Acts and find at least 10 examples, I counted, possibly more, of the apostles praying publicly. Or how about Acts 2.42, the description of the first church. They continued themselves steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. They prayed together. So, since we know that Jesus at times prayed out loud, as did the apostles, and the church also did this regularly, Jesus can't here be giving a strict command to never pray publicly. What he's really saying is, don't do it like the hypocrites. It would be better for you to pray alone in your closet than do it just to be seen by men. But he's not giving a strict requirement of never pray publicly, because again, we see him do it, we see the apostles doing it, we see the early church doing it, so we can do it, we can pray together in a group, but it's about the motives. You don't do it to be seen or heard by men. You shouldn't be like practicing prayers at home to make sure they sound great before you pray with a group just so you've like mastered this thing. shouldn't do any of that. That's what he's saying. 
In the same way, he's also not saying we should limit how often we pray when he speaks about vain repetitions. I also want to make that clear. So there's a difference between praying often and repeating yourself vainly. Again, if Jesus was trying to say, limit how often you pray, that wouldn't be consistent with a lot of the Bible. Like, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So he's not saying, don't pray without ceasing. He's saying, don't pray vainly, repetitiously. And even again, that high priest prayer, John 17, it's a very long prayer. He's praying for a long time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's betrayed, he prays for hours. And in fact, he prays the same thing multiple times, right? He goes away, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Comes back, he finds him asleep. Could you not be awake with me for one hour? Goes back again. So it took him a whole hour to say that? Or was he saying it over and over again? And if he was saying it over and over again, was that a vain repetition? Like he's saying here? No. What was the difference? If you can go away for an hour, and all you're saying for an hour is, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And then you're saying it again, and you're saying it again. How is that different than vain repetitions? Well, um, with vain, well, I mean, like, he's doing that because he, does, because he actually wants that. Like, he's not doing it just to be seen. And he's not doing that just because he has to. He really actually wants to have that cup taken. He had a real need, and so he was asking God in a real way from his heart for this real need, God his Father, versus what the pagans were doing, vain repetitions just to get their God to do something for him. I think there's also a clue in there about when he says, not my will, but your will. I mean, you can repeat that forever because what you're going to be doing in that is changing your heart to be aligned with God's will. And so that's not vain repetition. There's also a parable in Luke 11 about a neighbor who has guest, but he has no bread. And so he goes to his neighbor's house, please help me, but it's late, so the guy's already in bed. And so Jesus says, but at first the neighbor wants to say, no, go away, I'm in sleep. But if he keeps knocking, eventually he'll get up and give him bread. So if that's not vain repetition, again, what's the difference? The difference is what he's saying don't be like is the pagans that would have these phrases. They would just repeat over and over again to get their God to do something like magic. That isn't the same thing as you're really struggling, and so you're asking God for help, and 10 minutes later, you need his help again. And 10 minutes later, you need his help again. Like that's, It isn't the same thing. He's not saying don't do that. For certain, keep asking God for help but don't just have these vain repetitions. And I would also warn here, and this is something that I could uh, debate my, my uh, Orthodox Anglican priest friend on, he loves prepared prayers. They have Book of Common Prayer, they go through as a church, he loves reading these prayers, and he feels like, at this point in his faith, he says, these prayers were handed down through tradition, through people who were way smarter and more theologically sound and closer to God than I am, and I should learn how to pray from them as opposed to just reinventing the wheel myself. And so I'm going to only pray by this book. And even though I can get his motive in wanting to pray deep prayers, if he can read it slowly and take it in and, and say those things from his heart, 
The risk we have there is just reading some prayer and just repeating it because we're supposed to and it doesn't mean anything to us. That's, again, vain repetition, just like repeating some prayer. And it's the same thing with the Lord's Prayer. Right? So if you just say the Lord's Prayer, we're going to do it next week. If you just recite that over and over again, it doesn't mean anything to you. That also could be a vain prayer. So we're allowed to pray publicly, and we're, we're commanded to pray publicly, and we're commanded to pray persistently without ceasing and to keep knocking. These are things God wants us to do. But it, it all comes back to the motives. Every time it comes back to the motives. We're not doing it to be seen or heard by men, and we're not doing it because we're trying to get our little genie in the bottle to do something for us. And I believe if we pray often for the same thing, then we ought to end it every time with, nevertheless, not my will but your will, because then we'll begin to pray God's will into our life. So then the end of verse 8 here says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what is the obvious question that you might ask when you read that? Yes? That's a good question. Well, he knows everything. Yes? Yeah. So maybe we're the only lazy ones. We're like, why do it if he already knows? We're like looking for a way out here. We're looking for some kind of break. What, what, why? Why even pray if God already knows what you need? Why pray? The last thing I want to discuss this morning is kind of this, this question. If God already knows what we need, already knows our heart, already sees our situation, knows us inside and out, why do we have to ask Him for anything? Good question, yes. <laughs> so you might say, well, because God commands us to pray. And that's true, but it's an easy out. That's kind of circular, right? God says, pray, and I already know what you're going to ask. And you ask him, then why pray? And he goes, because I said so. Well, I mean, that's true. He did say so. Or you might say, well, because Jesus prayed, and we want to model our life after him, so let's pray because Jesus prayed. That's also true, but again, why? Especially in his case, why? He is God. He knows God's will. What's he praying for? So I'll give you a couple of things to ponder about how to answer that question. And these are part of your worship guide, so pay attention, all you note-takers and homework lovers. Prayer is not just about getting things. It's about communing with God. Communing with God. There can be back and forth in this. It's not a one-way street, which is really interesting. As we're praying to God, praising Him or thanking Him, sharing our heart with Him, expressing our struggles, we receive back from Him encouragement, comfort, wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So as we're communing with God, we're receiving back from Him, not just what we're asking for, but spiritually we're being built up, encouraged, comforted, strengthened, empowered, emboldened. That's the first thing. Something else, it aligns us with God's will, which I already alluded to earlier. Praying often without ceasing, especially if we keep asking God, change my heart, God, your will, not my will, then we're going to begin to be aligned with God's will, which, by the way, is the easiest way to get to a point where having a faith in whatever you ask, you receive, 
because you'll be asking according to his will, because you're now aligned with his will, because you've been saying over and over again, God, not, your, not, not my will, but your will. Keep in mind that God doesn't always answer our prayers with yes. Sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is not yet. We don't always know which way he's going to answer. So as we pray, we aren't just praying, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. We're saying, your will be done. This is the need that I have. This is the desire that I have. This is something that I think is a good idea. Please, God, help me in this, but your will be done. And so we're aligning ourselves with this will. Another reason to pray, and I guess it's kind of related to the first thing I said, it helps us from being anxious. Like I said, you know, communing with God, receiving back from God. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And next week we'll look more at the kind of a model for prayer. And it's important to recognize that prayer, there's multiple things you can do in prayer. You know, prayer can be crying out to God. It can be asking for wisdom. It can be asking God to help you solve a problem that you can't figure out. It can be for things. It can be telling God what you're thinking. It can be inviting God to come with you to school. All that stuff is praying to God. It's just about that communication with Him. And so I would say, pray without ceasing. Pray persistently, but pray with the right motives. Pray to commune with God, to express your needs, your desires, your struggles, your questions, and your worries. Pray to spend time with God. Pray to thank Him to praise Him, to align yourself with His will. Pray when you're anxious. Pray privately. You know, this is funny because as I say these things, one of my struggles is food. And so I always say things like, I eat when I'm happy, I eat when I'm sad, I eat when I'm excited, I eat when I'm stressed, I eat when I'm relieved. It's like, whatever is going on, I could eat something, you know. That's how prayer should be. You happy? Pray about it. You sad? Pray about it. You got a win this week? Pray about it. Do you get a loss this week? Pray about it. Align yourself with His will. Pray privately. Get alone with God. And when you pray with others, don't think about what they're going to think of how you pray. Don't be distracted with what's someone going to think if I pray or whatever, or how am I sounding? Or if somebody says an amen, don't get all built up. Oh, that was good. I prayed good today. That was good. Don't, don't do any of that. When you pray, you talk to God. That's the right motive. And then He'll hear you and He'll reward you.